Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right, welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Rick Morton along with my cohort, Phil Dark. How are you doing this today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And I just realized that you said cohort. That's only one letter different from co-host. So um, either way, we're good to go. But we so, are more. We are more than. We are more than co-hosts to each other. We that's are true. Friends and buddies and absolutely. colleagues and all that kind of stuff. So, and more. So. Absolutely. Well, man, really excited for uh, for this episode and kind of our second uh, our second video interview. So, I know it's yeah. kind of a whole different. It's it's third. <laughs> well, it's second interview. Third. Yeah, third video. Second interview. Second right, inter- you right. know, and it's just a whole different whole different ball game, especially with I your. Love it your library behind you it's it's so it makes me feel so um uneducated well but, i have to i feel like because of our guest today that i have to have a fairly ostentatious uh library because because we are uh, we are talking to a scholar today yeah so. and i'm i'm very much looking forward <laughs> to this conversation as we talked about before we recorded i was really impressed uh with this book um and excited to dig into it a bit more Folks out there, if you haven't uh, haven't read it, um, Rick's going to tell you a little bit more more about it right now, as well as our guest. I know it's a friend of Rick's, and uh, yeah, like I said, really excited for today. Um, and I am just uh, not really sure what where it's going to go because this guy has so many stories that he had in his book, and it could go a lot of different directions, all of which are going to be awesome. So, uh, or would be awesome because we can't go for all of them, right, Rick? Absolutely. But, uh, but today we're, uh, we're welcoming in as our guest, Todd Chipman. Uh, Todd is a professor at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. He also has written the book, Until Every Child is Home, Why the Church Must Care for Orphans. Um, and, uh, you know, remember sitting down with, uh, with Todd a few, uh, you know, a few years ago and hearing his kind of his vision for a book and what he was going to try to accomplish. And, you know, the idea of telling that through the stories of some great folks. And so we're going to welcome Todd in and, and just kind of get into the, the details about, uh, about the book and hear a little bit more about, um, you know, kind of the occasion of writing, but, uh, but Todd, we, uh, man, we just want to say welcome all the way from, uh, all the way from Kansas city. And, uh, thanks for joining us buddy my pleasure rick yeah so we were we were just talking uh as we were kind of rolling into the interview i mean i remember uh several years ago sitting down with you at kfo and having a conversation about this book and you know just about the heart and and the passion behind it and the stories that you were kind of collecting and, and moving through that and so really really excited for us to today to be able to dig in with our audience and and point them to what is uh, what is one of the you know one of the stellar resources out there in uh, in orphan care. Thanks so much. Yeah, and and I, I echo those things. And and you know one of the things I always love hearing from our guests um, is just the story. Your you know your sure story. Just how you got to be called to write a book about orphan care. How you called to be passionate about about loving the orphan and the vulnerable. Um, what led you to write the book. Uh, what led you to uh, cite to orphanology twice and only mention Rick once? 
Um, <laughs> things like that are really interesting to me. So, so Todd, you know, can you just share that with us? Just, you know, you know yeah. share your story with our audience and, and uh, love to hear that from you. Yeah. Well, before I met Rick, my life was a mess and I really struggled with a number of things. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, let me just jump there, Rick and I uh, meeting at KFO a few years ago, and then I'll kind of tell some backstory of the, the book itself. Yeah. Um, went to KFO that year as uh, someone who was a, a new adoptive parent. I had heard a little bit about KFO and, and sort of the world of Christian orphan care and adoption and ministries. The, though my wife and I had already adopted and we had some resources, basically Russell Moore's uh, Adopted for Life and related literature and stories, I had no idea how big CAFO was or how, how many uh, other folks were in this. But for me, what, what I had realized in the process of fostering and adopting was that my world my, my theological and my ministry world was opening up. I, I liken it somewhat to, to a person who later in their life becomes addicted to jazz music. You know, they just can't get enough. It's, you know, Herbie Hancock and Louis Armstrong and Dizzy Gillespie and all the great jazz musicians uh, from Kansas City. We have the History of American Jazz uh, you know, Museum here and so forth. And uh, someone who gets addicted to that later and just loves it. They, they come to a point where, where, where was this all my life? Where I was just missing out on this. Well, for me, in some ways, fostering and adopting uh, opened my mind, even though I already had been a pastor for more than 15 years at the same church. I had a long track record of ministry experience. I had, I had a PhD in New Testament, and I had uh, been teaching at a seminary some. That's just, how, how did I miss out on some of these things? Because... Fostering and adopting provides a relational proximity to practice what God has done for us. And so I went to KFO with newly opened eyes, like that person who's at a jazz museum now and just, oh, this is incredible. For me, it was opening my eyes and, and realizing that I had an opportunity to connect some dots in ministry from, from a perspective of someone who's a pastor who was a theologian and who is now an adoptive parent and helped to shape both ends of that spectrum in terms of helping those who are fostering, adopting, they have theological depth and, and power in what they're doing. And as a theologian to help folks who are into books see the practical way that foster care and adoption deals with cultural apologetics, I think in, in so many tangential ways. So that's, that's really the story of the book. And I, I do remember that conversation there, just bouncing these ideas off of you. You had more experience in, in this line. And I'm like, I, I just need to do something here because I've got stories to tell and I've got experience and I've got biblical knowledge. I want to put it all together. And I do remember your encouragement there and others. And uh, so here we are. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you did. You know, I'm glad that uh, the Lord really, you know, has, has used you to shape this uh, in, in a way that I think really speaks to pastors well. And, and, but yet you've, you've broken down um, the, the, you know, the side, the idea of caring for orphan and vulnerable children into, you know, into, into a very consumable kind of idea for, 
you know, for churches that are busy and, and, you know, at times overwhelmed in the things that they're doing. You know, one of the things, one of the kind of the images that you use in the book is, is kind of this idea of becoming a funnel for God. Like the, the idea of, of, you know, of being that channel of, of blessing and, and would love for you just to talk about that. And, and particularly from, from the perspective of a theologian about how our, our Christian worldview, how our biblical worldview informs how we should um, love orphan and vulnerable children around the world and like why that's such a, a gospel imperative. Hmm. I, I think about Deuteronomy 24. So uh, we're here toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy and uh, the, there are a number of, of laws here and some of them seem to kind of coordinate some. We have to try to think about how the coordination works. Uh, but it, here toward the end of, of Numbers, or excuse me, of Deuteronomy 24, Moses is commanding Israel to care for orphans and widows. And he says, when you reap the harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, do not go back to get it. It's left for the foreign resident, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So leaving this there is actually trusting God to bless us. So we're leaving that, but God's going to take care of us. And, and when, you, when you knock down the fruit from your olive tree, you must not go over the branches again. What remains will be for the foreign, wisdom, the foreign resident, the fatherless, the widow. When you gather grapes in your vineyard, you must not glean what is left. What remains will be for the foreign resident, the fatherless, the widow. Over and over, we have this refrain. And the last verse of Deuteronomy 24 is the rationale. Here's, here's why. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this. So here's, here's all these imperatives regarding your field, your groves, the, the resources that you have, and leave some behind. Because let me remind you, I take care of you. So I want you to go take care of them in a subsidiary kind of way. Because remember, I, I did this for you. And so this is that funnel idea that what we've received from God, we're ready to give away. And, and foster care and adoption allows us to do that in ways that I have never experienced as a pastor. And I've had a variety of pastoral experiences. I've done weddings, I've done funerals, I've preached sermons, I've done baptisms, I've been in the hospital. I've, you know, I've been at people's homes for service projects. I've done a whole gambit for many years. But proximal, relational, um, ministry in my own family and adopting kids has, has forced me to think about relying on God in ways I've never relied on him before. Re emotionally, um, in, in terms of a leader and helping uh, my family to adjust, my children to welcome new siblings, all of these kinds of ideas have put certain strains on me that I never felt in, in pastoral ministry or in the library working through uh, scripture and interpretation, but I've had to here and it's helped me. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I love that. I love that analogy too. I just love, I always love talking about that as far as just, just, you know, our heart breaks for what God's heart breaks for. And we also do what God does for us, for others. And, and just the, the idea of um, whether it's an overflow conversation or just, you know, it's, God is in our heart and 
and we are doing what he does. And, and that's just, that's just, as you said, with orphan vulnerable children, something that it's hard to explain to people too, when they haven't done it, you know, and, but yeah. to, to help people understand the idea so that when they actually are able to go into it, it, it gives them something to hopefully understand a little bit more about what is actually happening. So, you know, with that, I think it's a good tr- transition into the next question that we have for you. And you talked about your role as a pastor. You talked about, you know, how you've had different experiences as a pastor. But one of the things I want you to be able to share, and I know a lot of people ask me this question, is how can how can you as a pastor, how can other pastors really make the care of orphan and vulnerable children part of the DNA of their churches rather than kind of a sign ministry, which it, which it often becomes where it's like, oh, Sarah is a passionate adoptive parent. So Sarah does all our orphan care ministry, and therefore we can check the box and say we love the orphans and widows and their affliction, right? So how can how can a pastor do that? I know you told some stories in your book. Um, but also just from your, uh, from your perspective, as you have been able to do that, um, what does that look like and, and how can you encourage other pastors to do the same? Well, that was some of the reason for writing the book and why I, I wanted to go to that CAFO meeting and, and I met Rick there and connected is because I saw personally how strategic this kind of ministry is. And this is where uh, I, tr- I try to write from that perspective of the book. Uh, early on, one of the titles that we were thinking about for the book was something along the lines of the strategic value of orphan care for the local church, so that it really it helps us. And what I argue in the book is that if, if churches and church leaders take just a few steps into foster care and adoption, they will quickly begin to address issues that they often are burdened about and want to address. They're thinking, let's see, how can I address racial tension right now? I mean, what pastor in America is not wanting to, (laughs) right? What pastor in the United States right now is not thinking about that? Well, that's a touchy subject, isn't it? Boy, it's difficult. And this is a a, an issue that has a, a history that we need to think about. We have individual contexts in our own ministries. But if we involve ourselves in foster care and adoption, we're going to begin to address it. And not just on Twitter. <laughs> Anyone can address these kinds of issues on Twitter, right? But actually in our homes and as a model for our churches and for our communities, because disproportionately, in the foster care system, the African-American race is represented. Uh, it's just, that's a fact. That's not any commentary by me. That is just a fact from uh, the statistics. And so if we step into this, we are going to begin to deal with African-American children, families and their cultural issues and be able to learn about them. And uh, many white families will take in African-American children and think about that and, and grow in racial sensitivity and in demonstrating how the gospel provides unity and how helpful that is for for many churches. So there's one issue that we will deal with. We will also deal with abortion and and preventing abortion. We will deal with uh, the the issues of human trafficking, which aren't getting quite as much attention right now in our culture because of COVID and because of the racial issues, but that's happening. It's, It's happening every day in the United States that children are trafficked and those children, those girls become women who uh, often lead a life of prostitution. And I write about that 
chain of events in my book and we can step in and, and prevent some of that in a very, very real way. Uh, we can deal with human trafficking. So racial issues, human trafficking, we can deal with poverty uh, and it's strategic. If you step into this ministry, you find that it has outlets for so many ministries and, and cultural concerns that are right on the front burner of many pastors' minds. So what I want to do is think, help pastors to think about the strategic nature of this ministry, that it actually helps their churches if they can, can frame it and think about it in that way. Absolutely. And I, I just thought, you know, you, you talked about the, I mean, each of those conversations you just mentioned are a different chapter of the book. And in each of those chapters, we, what we kind of neglected to really talk about uh, is just you inter, you, you've interviewed, presumably, or you, you made up stories about these people, but I don't think that was the case. Um, I think, you know, you, you were able to interview some great people, some friends of ours, several of who have been on the show. Um, and you, you dived in, you dove into their story in ways that, that told the story, um, about how we can, how we can really address a lot of these issues. And, you know, and, and one of those things that you just talked about is, is the, the, not only the connection between orphan care and the sex trafficking ep epidemic, but just really how we can realistically get involved as the church, because the, the reality is. 99.9% .9 of churches are not going to probably a higher percentage than that are not going to go in and rescue children out of brothels, right? You're not going to, now you may prevent them from ever getting there, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of answering the question for you, but um, what are some ways that churches realistically can get involved and maybe use one of the stories you had from the book, but um, what does that look like from a church in the context of the orphan care um, and how it's connected with uh, really preventing it from happening by loving the children early. Yes, that's it. So I write in the book, I have uh, seven sections in the book, and one of them is on trafficking. There are three different chapters in there, and each of the chapters I interview a different uh, expert in this field. And I, I, I don't think I'll ever forget when I went down to Children's Mercy Hospital. Children's Mercy is a huge hospital in Kansas City. Uh, it's, it had different campuses, it's a research facility, they do incredible work. And I heard one of their nurses speak at an orphan care event here in Kansas City about trafficking. And so when I got the contract to write the book, I circled back with her and said, I'd like to interview you and get some information. I just I don't think I'll ever forget sitting down in her office at Children's Mercy Hospital and her beginning to share about children whose who's, lives were just under this situation of, of human trafficking and who had been trafficked and abused and talking about the number of children that they see who are brought in, nearly all of them were in the foster care system. And if you just do the math, these children were once in the foster care system. Now they're living on the streets and owned and used. And she just told me the stories. And I began to listen to her and, and others and do research, even FBI statistics of, of busts and so forth. And the, the scenario runs something like this. These children who are eventually prostitutes or who are uh, owned by a pimp, their lives uh, were characterized early on by crime and drugs. So their parents were involved in crime and drugs, mom or dad uh, arrested, 
There's abuse, neglect often involved in that. So they go to an extended family, a kinship placement, as, as we know the language often. Well, those folks' lives are characterized by crime and drugs as well. But then they're in a more vulnerable position because these folks who are adults who are leaving unstable lives, they don't have as close of a relationship with these children. And so there's a, a degree of extension there and a degree of, of distance. So there's more abuse, more neglect. So the state has to step in again, and then they're placed with a foster family. Well, that foster family is even further separated relationally from them. And so now, even if the environment of these children is not characterized by crime and drugs, their minds are. That's what's familiar to them. And so they are often heading in that direction and they run. So by this time, they're in their maybe uh, early teen years or even uh, 10, 12 years old, but they're on the street and on the street, they go to crime and drugs. They are found by a pimp. And I write about the sad world of, of women who work for pimps and who recruit these kids and who prey on group homes and begin to buy gifts for those girls and, and boys as well. And they're just groomed for that kind of a lifestyle. So when, when Christians, when we step in and partner with our churches to foster and adopt, we cut the supply chain of pimps and and they have a business model that they use and i write about that in the book and it's not fiction this the fbi documents this um this is uh this is uh cold hard crime and it's a, it's a sad world and we can do something about it you know todd one of the things that i really appreciate about the book and and i just and i appreciate about you is that um you know we all share the conviction uh, that that the whole church needs to live out James one twenty seven. We you know that this is not a this is not a calling for a few, but it's a you know it's it's a it's a general calling. But but one of the things I really love about the book as a resource for the church is that it, that you don't leave it in this in this general sense of man we all need to do this. But the the stories really provide a vehicle to to get very inherently practical and and just really to get down to you know to places where people can see themselves reflected. And, and, you know, one of the things that you, that you talk about in the book is, is kind of through the, the lens of uh, fostering and adopting. And, and, and so maybe I'd describe it this way. I think, you know, sometimes we, uh, especially now working in ministry with foster and adoptive families, um, you know, we kind of realize that those of us that step into, to, fostering and, and into adopting you're, it, it's a little a little bit like being the you know part of the green berets and that's not to mm. that's not to elevate the status mm. it's just to say you know there there's a like it's an extreme thing it's a it, it's a calling and and it, it and and there's and it's not like that's not everybody's road mm -hmm. but yet james 127 is for everyone yeah and so you really you talk about these five essential relationships mm. that adoptive and foster parents need to have and and really how that you know extends much of that that understanding of the way that the body of Christ you know gets involved and, and is involved and man I, I just love it if you just kind of unpack for our listeners a little bit just give them a little bit of a tease of those those five relationships and 
who they are and why they're important. And, and then we'll, we'll even to read the, the depth of it in the book because we wanted to go there and, and, and grab it as a result of this interview. But, you know, would love for you just to kind of expound on that a little bit. Yes, the five relationships is an idea that helps uh, a potential foster and adoptive parents recognize that as Green Berets, they are going to need other soldiers around them, that they are going in. And I, Rick, I appreciate your, your honesty there and, and its truthfulness. Sometimes when we talk with uh, folks about this kind of ministry, there are two extremes. Like over here is this is so hard and all of us who are doing it are just the, the most mature, the best people, all the rest. And, and that's not true at all. On the other hand, in fact, the more you do it, the realize you realize how dependent on God you are. I mean, that's just, uh, so it's just, Amen, the it on, on the other hand, uh, if, if we say, oh, it's not really that big of a deal, we're lying to people. <laughs> you know, it's hard. Sure. It's, it is hard. It's harder than anything I've ever done, uh, far and away. Um, so we've got to be honest with that and recognize God's providence and, and all the rest. So these five relationships help the green berets. And it's true that it is hard and it's, it's, it's God's grace upon you to do it. And there are people who can gather around you to help you and make it as successful in God's providence as it can be. And the first one is obviously your spouse. It's, it's often the case that the Lord puts this kind of a ministry on one spouse's mind first, but they are one flesh with another human. And so there has to be a partnership. Uh, we have probably all seen, and we could tell stories of couples who one person drove ahead and the other was being dragged along, right? Uh, they just were dragging their heels, didn't want to be involved. Well, there has to be a sense of partnership there and you have to work together and, and make sure that you're both on target. Uh, often it's the woman who really senses this first. Well, she has to be patient, develop a, a partnership with her husband. The husband who wants to, to run into this needs to make sure his wife's on board. So it's a, it's a partnership there. It's a partnership with children who are already in the home. Uh, and this is something that parents need to be sensitive to. Uh, even if they're just fostering and it may be respite kind of care, just weekend care, it will affect the children in your home. And you have to begin to shape their thinking. You need to develop a true partnership with them and, and help them to see how this will be challenging, but how, how it's going to be something their family's going to do and how you're going to help them with it, how in the end it might even be good for them. And that's going to take time. There has to be, in any partnership, uh, there's often a series of meetings and relationships and, and uh, or, uh, engagements that help that, that relationship to foster and to grow. And, and even with your own children, you're going to want it to, to do that. And then with your church, your, your pastor, let, get them involved um, to, to help them see the value of this ministry for the local church, the value of this ministry for them, and how you're going to need their help. And if you can get your pastor on board before you jump in, it's going to be much better than afterward. Uh, I, too many couples have, have just run ahead. And then after the kids are ready to be placed in their home, hey, pastor, I forgot to tell you, or I've neglected to tell you, or I've been busy and haven't told you that tomorrow a foster placement's coming to our home. Could you help organize some things for me? That's just not going to go well. <laughs> you know, you have to recognize your pastor's busy and there are a number of demands. And so develop that partnership 
early on along the way. Develop a partnership with your parents. Uh, this is perhaps one of the most important and, and often neglected aspects of foster care and adoption. Grandparents play a critical role. They may be the most critical role. If you can help kids who come into your home have a relationship with your parents, those kids who come into your home will have a sense of connectivity unlike anything else. They have, they have multiple generations now interested in them. And I cannot emphasize enough how important that is. I often tell parents or tell prospective parents, if you have good parents, you have a good relationship with your parents, they're generally healthy. They, they kind of live near you, even if it's just a few hours away, but they can be around in some ways. You have an asset for foster care and adoption, unlike anything else, because you can get them in those kids' lives uh, my mother who's still living, my in-laws are living. And even just this last weekend, they were together with our kids doing puzzles, planes. It's just, it has helped our kids so much and, and it's a great resource. So that relationship is absolutely crucial. The final relationship is the local school district because chances are if you're fostering or adopting kids locally, that school has been family for your children. Uh, schools are family for many, many children in the foster care system. Uh, my, my daughters, um, who, who are now been with us several years, the school district was their family for most of their life. Uh, when we picked our children up to bring them to our home permanently, we picked them up from school that day. The foster family that they were living with didn't didn't even want to take off work to make the exchange. We picked them up from school. The school had a party. When we adopted our girls, and that adoption was final, and we had a party for uh, our, our children uh, in Kansas City, the, the principal of the school they were at, which is about three hours away, drove to be at our party, drove to Kansas City to be there because school was, she was their parent, essentially. And, uh, so schools, you and, and I try to be specific there, uh, Rick, to, to go to the school, make an appointment with the principal, talk about what you're trying to do, say this is probably going to be the school where my kid comes. Can I just come and watch? Can I see what's going on? And then after your children start attending there, be the best volunteer that school's ever had. You're doing recess duty. You're doing lunch duty. You're bringing cookies for teachers. Just be there. And that also will show your child love and it will help you have another connecting point, which that bonding uh, mechanism is so important with, with kids. And if you get in the schools, you're going to be along the way. So with your spouse, with your children in your home, with your pastor, with your parents, with the school. And Todd, I love yeah, that so sad. much. And I, and I think there's a, you know, there's, there's also you know, this idea of, of realizing that in some of those extended relationships, particularly in the, in the school, you know, relationships we have with CPS and in, in places like that, those are like, they're, they're rich gospel opportunities mm. in all of that. And it's, and it's our, it's our relationship, you know, with our kids and through our kids that, that bring us into, you know, connection with those people. And, and, and those relationships aren't by accident. Those things are, those things are part of God's providence as, you know, as well. And, and so just, man, I love just the kind of the 360 degree thinking of, you know, really being intentional about, you know, about all those relationships. 
Well, one of the things that we um, that we do routinely with our guests is um, certainly we want them to, uh, you know, to get your book and we want them to, you know, to digest that because because we've seen it as a great resource. But but we also know that part of being a part of this community is, you know, just connecting with other resources and with other things you know, that are good. And so anytime we have, you know, somebody like you on the show, one of the questions that we want to make sure and ask is, you know, what have you read or what have you listened to or what have you watched that has, has really impacted your thinking about how to, to love and to serve orphan and vulnerable children well? Well, I think, uh, and not to just blow smoke, but Orphanology, your book with Tony Maria is, uh, is excellent. Um, it, I think you 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 Thank set you. out a parameter of issues that just helps folks to get connected and to to see uh, you know the landscape. Obviously, Russell Moore adopted for life. I think is perhaps one of the uh, books that has had maybe the the biggest impact. I think on on many Christians um, of the last twenty years. It doesn't get that much um, that high level, but I think. Uh, boots on the ground ministry it has affected so many churches and so many lives. So I think those two books, I think the, as far as podcasts, the fostering and adopting home podcast mm -hmm. that uh, Lynette Izell leads is, is excellent. Uh, yeah. She and her partner do great interviews and uh, they're, they're just great interviewers and uh, they, they, uh, they have a, a, an array of, of guests on who are in the know. Uh, I think, and we've mentioned already CAFO, but Christian Alliance for Orphans and their annual summit. Uh, I would just highly encourage uh, your, your, your listeners here to attend if they haven't already. At some point, uh, I go every year now, um, some because I, I get to do a little bit to serve there, but I just get energized. And I tell folks, and so I, I get from a, a perspective of a seminary professor and a pastor, I get to go to some cool conferences. You know, it's part of the deal. It's neat. But, and, but, but I tell folks, uh, as far as the depth of spiritual commitment, folks at KFO are far beyond anything I go to uh, for pastors, for theologians, just the, the, the vulnerability, the need for God, God's presence people who are just right on the front lines, truly green berets. Um, they are just my heroes. Um, uh, I, just as much as authors of books who help me understand scripture better. Uh, when I see people fostering and adopting special needs children who will never walk on their own, I, I just think that's, that's Jesus Christ's spirit living in these people. And they do it, and they love, and they care, and they go the extra mile. So, uh, yeah, those are some resources, I would say. Yeah, those are some great resources um, that uh, I, I think – I don't know that I've listened to that podcast yet, but I'll, have to, I'll have to definitely have to check it out. But um, the Phil, other ones – One other name comes to mind, Jason Johnson, who works for KFO. Yeah. But his blog yeah. and his books, uh, Reframing Orphan Care, or Reframing Foster Care, it's what his book is called, his most recent one. Um, but anytime I hear him talk about uh, foster care and adoption, it's always within the framework of discipleship and the local church. And it's just spot on. I just keep finding myself saying amen. And uh, so, mm -hmm. yeah, his resources yep. are very helpful. 
Yeah, a lot of us say that with Jason's stuff. Um, we were fortunate to have him, and I think the other one, the other folks on there. The only one we haven't had is is Tony, and it's probably because because Rick doesn't want to, you know, have him come on and then make everyone realize that he wrote most of the book, and you know, then that that gets awkward. So I knew, um, I knew we were going to get there, but just because you mentioned um, the book, Phil, Phil was going to get there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think you should have them on and have people vote for the best beard. Well, you know, uh, wow. yeah, although I did see a, a picture on, on uh, Instagram recently and he was pretty yoked and I, I don't know that uh, that I, I, I think I'd be intimidated even over over Zoom. So I don't I don't know about that. But uh, on that note, you know, uh, the last question we have, you know, we I always love hearing what what books and, and like Rick said, I, I totally agree. Like folks out there, if you haven't read Todd's book, check it out. That, that last part about the, the five most important, that was the appendix, five most important relationships. So that's the appendix. Think about how much goodness is in the not appendix. I don't know, the, the, the regular body, I guess, right? Um, so, and, and that isn't an appendix you want to remove. But the, um, that was a dad joke for us. <laughs> so, Love it. Um, but uh, the last question we ask our, our guests, and it's, it's always one, it may be one of the people you've already mentioned, but it may be somebody else, but what one person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? I think probably Russell Moore um, and his book, Adopted for Life, and hearing him speak, I recall to, to speak of CAFO again, uh, a few years ago at CAFO when he was talking about churches and the value of uh, this kind of a ministry in a local church. And he's an articulate guy. I mean, he, you know, he speaks on lots of issues pretty quickly and, and often with the kind of language that you, afterward you say, I don't think anyone could say it better than that. You know, that's what, that's the idea. It's very clear. Uh, he, he, he couldn't get words. And I remember I was kind of struck and I think the audience was, he was having trouble getting words to articulate the kind of culture that exists in a local church where orphan care is a part of the ministry in a natural way, but it's not all that the ministry does, like in a, a cultish kind of way, but, but is part of the DNA and it propels the whole ministry on. He was having trouble sort of getting at the idea. Um, and I just say that because there is an intangible kind of spiritual quality where the local church is healthy and scripture pervades the congregation's thinking so that orphan care is a part of what we do. Uh, but it's not all that we do. So it's healthy and it grows and it's strong and everyone participates in some way to help um, just as in other kinds of ministry. So uh, Russell Moore, uh, I would say has probably been uh, someone who's very influential toward me in that. And the yeah. privilege of, that he wrote the forward for my book was, a, was an honor for me. Yeah, that uh, is, a, is a name that I imagine a lot of people would mention. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I very much appreciate, Todd, uh, you coming on. I appreciate uh, the, the book that uh, God wrote through you, uh, what, what you're doing. Uh, it's very, very encouraging, inspiring to me. So, so thank you very much. You're welcome, brothers. Absolutely. Thank you for your thank work. Thank you, my friend. Likewise, all the best to you. Bill, great interview. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Todd. That was a um, lot of fun. I, I look forward to meeting Todd in uh, in person in the future. So that we yeah be good. Just um, you know, and, and the thing the thing I love about Todd is that he 
he really is and and he's he's pretty humble when he comes into a setting like this but he's uh, he's pretty much a consummate scholar and and to um he, but it, especially you can just see the passion well mm -hmm. up in him when he's talking about yep. uh you know orphan and vulnerable children and and there is a he has an ability to to you know maybe put the cookies on the bottom shelf a little bit and i just yeah. i really appreciate that that um you know that he doesn't he doesn't stay in the clouds but really gets down to the the practical things that the church can do and absolutely uh, so absolutely love yeah no and then that was one of the things is you could tell just the way he was processing and just he's very deliberate very intentional um how he answered the questions the the word choice the how he said what he said and and, and you could really see that in the book as well it was is yeah it was just very intentional and that's where it just keeps coming to my mind because I, I think he's 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 got a purpose he's got a vision he's got a mission for that book clearly but it wasn't just shoving things down people's throat like you said i mean putting the cookies sure. on the bottom shelf um not something i like to do in my house but um <laughs> but it, it's not something you know it's something i need to work on quite frankly because i think sometimes you know as i've said on this show my wife will say phil do you realize what you just said and i said yeah i said this she says that's not what everyone heard and you know in and, and sometimes that can be a you know good thing that they didn't hear it properly but most of the time it's not a good thing when they don't hear it properly and just when you leave room for interpretation sometimes people well people will always interpret it all over the place and so to be able to to make it as not dumbing it down but to make it uh more simple to make it you know to, to make it a, a simple uh conversation that really makes the main thing the main thing that that brings it down to, okay, this is what I want to make sure people understand at the end of this conversation. Yeah. And that's something that is such a great skill. And, you know, it, it, it's something that comes with a lot of practice, right? I mean, you can tell that he's done this a long time. He's a professor, he's a pastor. And as you said, the passion for what he does, this is not something he's doing because James 127 says to, you know, it's a command to do it. He does it because right. God has transformed his heart and he is clearly just doing this because he is a child of God who is doing what God loves. Well, and I think, you know, the, the thing I would want to, you know, want to leave our, our listeners with about, about the book is if, if you're, if you're out there and you're trying to figure out, a, you know, ways to, ways to get the body of Christ involved, if you're, if you're out there trying to, you know, think creatively about how, how can our church, really you know be mobilized into into caring for orphan and vulnerable children this is a great book to pick up because i think it and, and you know and, and even some of the things that he talked about you know in the interview it, with so much more depth but just the you know delving into the issue of human trafficking and really looking at that from multiple angles and the relationship between you know between that and orphan care but it's done in a really accessible way you know you you said it in in the in that part of the interview that this is not a man that's a problem, but we can't like, it's not accessible to us. It's done in a way that, that it's just really accessible to the church. And, and I think I love the way, you know, most of that's told through the eyes of someone and, mm -hmm. and through someone's story and, and what you, what you kind of walk away with a sense of is, is like none of these people are changing clothes in a phone booth. 
right? They're not superhuman. They're right. not, they're not kind of other than they're just, they're just normal people like, like me and you. And, and it really gives a great view to how, you know, just inherently normal people can be used by an extraordinary God to do, um, you know, to do things that are, that are important, you know, for the kingdom. And, and yeah. I, I really appreciate his contribution. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, and I do think as I, as we talked about in one of the questions we asked and, and one of the, one of his answers is just really, if you're in a church and you're trying to figure out ways to, to connect with your pastor on what does it look like? You know, what, what is, how, how can we actually get our church involved? The thing that I love about it, like he said, is the issues we're facing in our world, like it's all, it's all, and we talk about that all the time on the show, right? The interconnectedness of all of this stuff yep. that we're working on, the interconnectedness of the, in the, everything going on in the kingdom and the, the care for orphan and vulnerable children is absolutely interconnected with all of those things. And I love how this book goes into a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. And, absolutely. and it's, uh, it was done in a way that was that, you know, as a pastor, he's, he's speaking to pastors as well as to, you know, the congregations out there and to, to Christians. So I, I absolutely recommend this book. Um, I don't think that I have recommended it as, as a Phil official Phil recommends. So I'm doing that today. Dr. Rick and Phil recommends. Here it is. There it is. I'm, I'm fully recommending this book. I think it's one that has so much good um, to, to share with us. Um, but also it's going to challenge you. It's going to have you think about things that you might not have thought about before. And it's going to give, a, as, as we've talked about, a really accessible way for people who might not otherwise understand what, you know, what this thing called orphan and vulnerable child care looks like. Um, across the way. And, and I think that it's a, it's a different take on it than like an orphanology or, um, you know, some of the other books that might be kind of the, the, the uh, landscape of, of orphan care, right? It, it's, it's a different, it's from a different perspective and a lot yeah. of different perspectives. And that's what the other cool thing is. A lot of the guys, as I said, who've been on the show, their stories are further, you know, they dive into, he dives into those stories a bit more and it, it was really cool. So very much appreciate it. So, Rick, uh, any last parting words before we uh, close it out, brother? I think uh, I, I think I'm good. I, I think you know we we covered it well. We had a great guest. We had a you know a little bit of an, a chance to visit together, and uh, I think this has been another good episode. I I agree. So, folks out there. Um, as we're uh, bringing it to a close, always remember to connect with us on Facebook. Connect with us uh, if you want to send us an email, info at thinkorphan.com. You can, you can uh, sign up for the newsletter as well. As I said, I think it was a couple episodes ago. If you want to be a part of the newsletter and you want a newsletter to actually happen, then sign up on the contact page of thinkorphan.com because if we have like three people and it's my mom and Rick and, and me signed up, I don't think Rick signed up yet, then we're not going to do it because it's, you know, it's a, it's a lot of time and we have a pretty short staff. So if you want that, you know, and we can get that out more and then you can share it a little easier, maybe sign up on the contact page of think, thinkorphan.com, a little pop-up will pop up and you can fill it in there. It's simple. And then, um, you know, ask us questions. Give us different guests that you think would be good to talk with. I know that a lot of the guests we've had have come from that, uh, you know, you guys recommending them. So 
folks, especially now that we're not going to be seeing each other in person, really, at least in the foreseeable future. CAFO may happen this year, but it may not, given all the different changes, the ever-changing landscape. So right now, this is our way we can connect. This is our way we can ask the hard questions. This is our way we can have these tough conversations and uh, very much want you to be doing that. So the other thing, as always, that we want you to be doing is taking what you learned today, taking what you're, you're hearing, you're, li- you know, you're, you're watching, you're reading, and really you know, let God use it to help you understand how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.